Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidnor, founder of leading Australian podcast agency, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. How does your workplace treat you? Today's guest, Reggie James, is the CEO and founder of consultancy group Beaker and Flint and began to grow frustrated over how some companies treat employees like a number. So he did something about it. In today's episode, powered by Shopify, Reggie shares why he has decided to reject hustle culture how he transitioned from the corporate world to startup land and what he's learnt along the way about identity as an American expat in Australia. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials or if you're new here, welcome, welcome peers. And please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so the other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us on our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome Reggie. Reggie. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Very glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to our chat today. Amazing. So, you know, look, you and I recently connected, Reggie, and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing in the consulting and product development space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. No, really cool. That's awesome. It feels nice to be reached out to and someone to say, hey, look at what these people are doing. Love to have a chat. So um, definitely feels like a privilege. So really appreciate it. I appreciate that. Awesome. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Reggie James. I'm uh, the CEO of a service design consultancy based in Melbourne, Australia. Um, we work with purpose-driven organizations. Um, a lot of 
charitable organizations and public sector organizations as well. And we also do uh, product development internally for ourselves. So starting new businesses as well, using the capabilities that we have from our consulting team. So cool, Reggie. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I cannot wait to dive deeper into the business and how it came about. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? It's really interesting kind of thinking through, you know, what I'm doing today and thinking back to where I came from. So I, I actually, um, I grew up a military brat. We call it a military brat, meaning your dad's armed services and you typically move around quite a bit. Um, so we moved every three years. So whenever people ask me, where are you from? I have a really hard time answering the question. I can tell you where my parents live today. I can tell you where I lived, but where am I from? Um, probably the best answer would be, uh, the East coast of the United States. So my family's in, in Virginia now. Um, I spent some of my more forming years in Virginia, but we lived in, uh, Maryland, Tennessee, um, I lived in Indiana, I lived in Pennsylvania, I lived in Florida. Um, my, my parents were stationed in Scotland for a while. They had both my sisters in Scotland and, and, and that's normal, um, kind of military life. You move every three years. Um, I think about that, that lifestyle. And I think one of the things that you, you probably think when you hear military is that, oh, you must've been very disciplined. Your dad must've been very disciplined with you. And, and I don't actually think that was the, the case. I think it was probably more that lifestyle. You, you, you learn to be resilient. Um, you learn to, um, you learn to, to deal with change. Um, you learn to make friends quickly. Um, you learn to adapt. And so I think those are all um, some really critical life skills that, that I, I kind of learned along the way. Um, and I suppose another part of that whole story would be, um, you know, leads me to my parents, uh, my dad in particular, um, you know, him, him choosing to be in the military and, you know, he's, you know, a, a black man from inner city, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And, uh, he was actually, um, both his parents thought he was pretty young. And so I've always looked at him as a, a bit of an anomaly, typically in that situation, a, a poor black man from a, you know, what is, I think now, um, the second most dangerous city in the States you'd expect for him to, to either be dead or in jail. Um, and he beat the odds. And so I think him joining the military at a young age and, and having a very successful 30 year career um, instilled a lot in me. So when I think about where am I from and how to have that make me into who I am now, it actually really points back to um, my dad and, and, and how my dad, you know, really beat the odds. And, and I feel like that set me up for uh, a successful life. What was the greatest thing your dad taught you? Uh, I think the greatest, it's, it's amazing. I think about, um, my dad had this way of whenever we were being naughty or, or, or acting out, he always had this way of really, um, you know, kind of cutting, you know, to, to the heart of the matter with us and, and bring us to tears. And then, and then we, we'd be thinking, okay, I've got to act better. And, and I think one of the, the ways he did that was he'd always tell us about, you know, really how he worked very hard. Um, and he didn't have, um, privilege at all. Um, you know, his, like I said, his, his parents died when he was young, um, and he, he lived on the streets for some time. And so I think the the greatest lesson he taught me was to work hard. I mean, a, a military career, um, well, a Navy career in particular, not many people know this, but the, the ship deploys, um, 
very frequently at the end of his um, military career, they, they counted the the amount of time that he he spent deployed overseas um, could be could be from one week to one month or to six month deployments. Um, all in all, in a thirty year Navy career, he was away for nine years. Wow! Um, and so, for me, that that's you know that was just normal life growing up. But I think you know the thing that I learned from it and the thing that he taught me from it was was to work hard and, and, and to not give up, um, and, and to do your best. And so I think that's the biggest thing. And I, and I talked to him today and I, and I still see that in him, just this, this desire to, to push himself, you know, past whatever circumstance he, he was, you know, given in this world. So yeah, do, do, doing your best and, and working hard. That's the biggest lesson he taught me. Oh, he sounds like one hell of a guy, honestly. Like He, he really is. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the resistance there, though. You know, I think so many of us, those of us who are fortunate enough to do what we do now and have the choices that we have and are able to build businesses and, and whatnot, I think there's often that resistance piece around the, you know, quote unquote hard work and the hard work ethic and mentality. And I think sometimes it can be mistaken for hustle and almost that hustle culture. What are your thoughts on that? And for you, was there ever a time where I would call it the dark side or the negative side of working hard or hustle culture has gotten you, you know, and how did you navigate through that? It's a really, really good question. And uh, uh, this concept or this discussion around hustle, I've I've recently um, completely changed my thinking on that. And I won't say recently, I think it's, it's been a part of who I've, I've always been. Um, and, and I can go so many directions with this because I, I mean, it's one, I don't believe that hustle culture is, is good. Um, I think that this idea of, of, of hustling um, to me, it, it, the, the word it conjures up in my mind is striving. Um, and uh, that's, that's a very, I feel like to, that's a that's a that's not the right energy in which I want to be moving forward in life is from this this space of striving or trying to make something happen based on on you know my own power. Um, I also think that it, it it leads itself to you know people working crazy hours. Um, certainly, as an entrepreneur starting a business, uh, I think there's a mentality that you're going to work crazy hours. <laughs> you're going to be burning the midnight oil, like you're doing everything yourself, making it happen. <laughs> and I think that is the greatest fallacy about building uh, a good business mm. is that you would live your life that way. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, for me, and I'll just kind of touch touch on that point about working hard. And I, I, I should define what I mean by working hard um, because I don't spend my time grinding or hustling in my business, but I do work hard. And the way I see that, and, and I think, again, going back to my dad and what he taught me is, is, is working hard on yourself. And, and so when I think about um, how we're able to do the things we're doing in, in, in our industry, in our field, and um, the success that we've had as a business to date. Um, I think about my life, the accomplishments that I've had. Um, I reflect on this idea of, of for me, is, is getting better and being better um, personally. And, you know, being, being the best version uh, of myself that I can possibly be. Um, I think that's, you know, even when I think about my entrepreneurial journey and the things that I love about what I'm doing, it's actually not the thing I'm doing. It's the person I'm becoming. 
And so for me, when I think about this, this hustle ideal or, you know, and, and I'll go back into this, you know, working hard. Yeah, work hard, but, you know, think about what you're working on and, and why you're doing that. And I think there's so many places that people, so many angles that people come from towards the work they do that that are just unhealthy. They're negative. They could be about their ego. They could be about, you know, trying to prove somebody wrong or they could be about, you know, so many, so many things that people, you know, use as fuel, um, you know, can create that, that idea that they need to, they need to work that way, but it's, it's not healthy. It's not sustainable. And, um, I say down with, down with hustle culture, down with the grind, <laughs> like Monday grind, like all those Instagram stuff. <laughs> not, not about, about it. it. <laughs> not about it. I actually just, uh, I had a, a 50 K bike ride today. That's how I spent my day. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Reggie teaching us all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and mind you, we're in a lockdown, so that just felt so great. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. <laughs> I love yes. it. Yeah. Amazing. I want to dive a bit deeper into the story. So you know, you're moving around as a kid. It's it's all happening. You're feeling very obviously. I wouldn't say inspired, but you're feeling quite grounded because you're. It sounds like your dad grounded you in what he mm. did and who he was. You know, I saw that you went off to study at Drexel University in Philadelphia. I think that was your master's, though, so it may have been something before that. But talk to us a little bit about your mindset as a teen heading into kind of college days, you know. Where was your head at and what were you struggling and facing at the time? Yeah, that's um, that's interesting for me, um, kind of going back to that space. High school for me was was difficult um i was not a good student and we do trivia my, my team at my company we do trivia and I, I threw in a question you know they were doing like trivia like guess who this person is and 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 my thing that i put in was you know i almost flunked out of high school <laughs> and funny enough people knew it was me which is i'm, I'm kind of like what does that say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but that was that was the truth like every year my parents would say i don't think you're gonna pass and every year somehow I slipped by and, and actually made it um, to the next grade. Um, I'm not sure what it was, whether there was, you know, some kind of learning thing that I had, whether it was I, I was just unfocused, whether it was the way they talk. But but school was really challenging for me. Um, and my dad, you know, told me and my sisters that, you know, because they didn't go to college. He said, you, you will go to college. Um, that's going to happen. And I think the way I saw that was as a challenge, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to make it happen, even though I'm basically flunking almost every year. Um, high school finishes and, and my grades are so bad in America. It's, it's quite, um, it's quite the thing to do to, to, when you finish high school, you go off to university, maybe some different state, you know, yeah. you move away from family, you go and, and you have the university experience and, my experience wasn't that at all. What I did was a bit of, you know, social suicide. I went to community college. Um, and that's like, you know, there's a show, there's a show on that oh. the community show. And it's, it's oh. like, you know, it, they're kind of weird places because you've got people who've just come out of high school and you've got people who are in their, they're in their forties and fifties coming back to learn new things. It's, it's, um, there's just a bit of stigma around that, that form of education. Um, and I, I went there and, 
I continued taking classes. I did so badly in, in high school, I had to repeat the classes in college, in community college. And and you know what? I failed those classes too. <laughs> I did. I did. Oh, <laughs> Such a struggle. It was a struggle. It was a struggle. Um, community college is supposed to be a feeder into the university system. And it's optional. You don't have to do that. Most people would completely bypass that and wouldn't even see it as an option. Um, but I, I, it took me four years because the first two years I just kept failing. Um, and so it's really interesting because I was dating a girl at the time who, who gave me some advice, which, um, sounds very simple, but she said, just, just do your best. And it was the combination of her advice and her example that that made something click to me and from that point forward i only made a's and b's wow and i then went to university um, at old Dominion university in virginia and um graduated fairly high in my class wow. and then and then went on to you know get similar marks you know while doing my my master's degree at drexel so i was a lifelong failure as a student and in an instant it flipped and and I fell in love with learning. I fell in love with achieving. Wow. That was, so that's kind of where my mind was going through. That was one, it was, how do I live up to the expectation that's been set for me, which is that you, you're going to go, you have to go. And I think my parents had, you know, after some time, they thought it wouldn't, it would never happen. Um, mm. But for me, it was perseverance and and even through all the failures to to keep at it and to keep going. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful I did. How do we keep going when we feel like there is just no light in sight? Yeah, that's um, it's 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 hard. I, I think it's tough. I think it's very tough, and I think there's there has to be something that that we we can grab onto that that is pushing us forward and to find that thing. And I think for me, you know, speaking about that that kind of community college to university to grad school journey was, was my father's voice in my head. And, and, and not just that you will go to college, but that he believed I could, like he believed I could, he believed I could be successful in that. And, and it's very important, obviously, I think in any family, but I think certainly where I come from in in the States and um, you know, certainly in the black American community to, to do better than, than your parents. (laughs) Like they want to set you up to do better than they did, like, and then keep it moving forward. And I think that was a big thing for my parents was, was to, you know, to use what they had and, and to take it further. And so uh, I think that was the energy for me was, was just knowing that it was something I had to do. And what if, I mean, I just, I'm loving this. I'm literally throwing questions out right, left and center. Um, But you know, I just, I'm just thinking for our peers out there listening who feel like they've really given something a go, you know, they have tried, whether it's a career path or a transition in life or whatever it may be, they feel like they've just given it a red hot go and like they just, you know, what, what advice would you give to those of us who aren't sure if we should keep striving or keep pushing and keep going or if it's time for us to find a different path. Mm, and that's, that's really interesting. And, and, and I feel like that's, that's something I, I'm, even I debate 
you know, myself, you know, on a daily basis as, as a, a business owner, at, you know, starting new businesses is when, when do we cut this? Like, <laughs> when do we stop do we doing stop? this? And, <laughs> when do we stop? And, and, and it's funny because we're, like, like I mentioned earlier on, we're, we're, we're incubating some new, some new products uh, internally, digital products. And, um, and one we've been working on um, for, you know, since we started our, our current business, we've been working on this thing for, for three and a half years now. Um, and it's getting ready to, to go live this month. Um, but we've had a few iterations of that, right? We've had a few, we, you know, we, we, we founded the business on this idea, you know, it didn't work. Um, and then we came back to it in a different variation and it didn't work. And, and now we're going at it again. And, and the question, I, I suppose for me, thinking about when, when do you, when do you stop or when do you keep pushing forward is, is maybe um, stepping back and, and assessing and then working. Maybe it's time to, to try a different angle. You know, it's time to try a different approach. You know, in, in, in my field, we use um, a lot of human-centered design methodologies and um, we, we talk about the problem space and the solution space. And the problem space is, you know, that's where I think we're committed to. There's a problem that that we see and we're going to solve it. And so we're committed to that. The solution space, I think you got to give that a few runs and decide, you know, is that thing going to work or not? And then when it's clear that it's not, move to the next thing. But you can still try to solve the problem. And I think that's that's what that's what I would tell people is 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 think about the problems that you want to solve. Think about the things that frustrate you in the world, um, and then be committed to that thing because eventually some solution that you serve up, it's going to work. Eventually we get there. I just, yeah, I, I think that's just such valuable advice. I think sometimes we can get caught up or we can become attached to this thing we're creating and the exact way of which it looks and feels and whatever. And sometimes it's just not the right fit. You know, it just, it's not going to serve the, problem that's that's right and i would also tell people in, in that like to 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 never yourself with your creation like the thing you're creating is not you and i think a lot of times people have a hard time letting go of an idea or moving on to the next thing because they've merged their identity with the thing they've created and so it feels like a death when it's time to say we need to move on to the next thing it feels like you're dying because you you've you've created yourself to be that thing and i think that's always going to be problematic and i think that's why people hang on to things too long and 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 don't make the decision to let go because their identity is is now you know bottled in with with that thing when was a time that you had to let go of that you know identity piece and and perhaps a business or something you know i saw it was almost 10 years working in the corporate world and, and, and across startups also before you decided to start the company, you know, could you talk to us and share with us a little bit about a time that you had to go through that transition? Yeah, that's, um, uh, I think about, uh, I suppose for me, I, identity is a really interesting one. Um, and I think for me, kind of working out my identity was an interesting one. I think I spent a lot of time not actually holding on to identities, but, but trying to figure it out, like, who am I? Um, and so I think 
funny enough, you know, 10 years ago is when I, when I moved to Australia. And, and, and for me, it was, it was a time in life where, you know, I was exploring and trying to figure out who I was. And that, that meant separating from, from my family. And funny enough, I moved as, as far as I could away from everyone I knew. You can't get much further than Australia. Like this is it. So those, those years were, um, um, I think spent trying to tear down an identity that, that, you know, I grew up in. Um, and, and that identity was, was, was very much, um, uh, I think it, it, it's a mix of, of, of being raised, you know, in, in a church environment that, you know, that wasn't right for me. And as well as, uh, an identity or, or what the world might, might tell me about who I am as a, a, a black male. Um, and, I think for me, what identity was, was letting go of those things, letting go of, of, you know, all my life being told who, who I was or, um, you know, what I was capable of by, um, the color of my skin, things like that. Um, and I think when I moved to Australia, it was, it was a, it was a good opportunity to disconnect and to really spend some time figuring myself out and figuring out you know, who I was, um, which funny enough, you know, led me back to, to the States and to Virginia to, to really dive back into who I was. But I had to go on that journey of, I don't like this identity. I don't like, you know, the, the, the skin I'm in. I don't like this, this thing and, and, and trying to divorce myself of that. And I think going through that journey and then realizing that my power is, is in all of those things that I've been running from, like the things that are my gifts, my strengths, my, my talents are in that mess. <laughs> and, so, and so I've actually got to go back and, 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 and actually embrace who I am. And so for me that, you know, that's kind of my story of, of, of identity and, and um, really coming to, to love the identity that, that I have. How can we embrace our identity? I think embracing it, um, the first step of that is, is, is knowing what it is and being clear on that, um, being, being clear on, on who we are, um, being clear on what we value and, and, and what we believe to be true. Um, and in finding ways to celebrate it, I think embracing it means telling people, it means telling people, our, you know, what's true for us, what, you know, what we feel inside and, um, and not shying away. I think, I think things are changing today and I feel like people are much more open and much more accepting to, to, to many different um, ways of living and different lifestyles and things like that. But, um, you know, certainly I think people still would feel some pressures to conform. And um, I think embracing our identity means, yeah, really, really accepting who we are. I love that. I recently relaunched my personal brand and for so long I was thinking, what is it going to be about? What's it going to be rooted in? How can I make it mean something other than just, hey, I've got, I'm a business owner and you know I do these things. But I came up with this concept of brown and we created a whole brown campaign and my whole logo, everything for my personal brand is rooted in that. And I think that was just not one of the first moments, but definitely publicly. One of the first times I really stood up and was like, this is who I am, you know, like a biracial woman here and like, you know, brown woman. And just, it felt so freeing, you know? And I just think it's exactly what you're saying. It's when we just 
put it out there, tell people, you know, and embrace it ourselves. I think that helps us to almost embrace it ourselves, you know, when it's when it's out there and you're having the dialogue and, and people are talking about it or whatever it is. Even if it is just within your community and for me, it's just my online community, you know. So I think that's super powerful. Mm, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that um, there's a tendency for, for, for people to try to fit in and 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 be like everyone else and i would certainly say in the corporate world that that is that is very true that actually to succeed you you need to in, in a lot of ways you know fit in fit into the corporate machine fit into the, the the corporate culture um but i think our power as individuals and our strengths come from our uniqueness and so i think it's about embracing that i love that concept of of brown and, and embracing that and i think today you know what better time so many so many eyes are on that as a as a concept of like yes let's embrace diversity let's embrace you know you know different ideas you know no matter what package they came from um i think the world's much more open to that and so i, I certainly love that concept appreciate that Look, Reggie, I want to talk a bit about the business. Let's talk about firstly corporate and then getting into the business. So, you know, as you just mentioned, sometimes and not always, but, you know, sometimes in certain organizations and and in the corporate world, whether it's corporate America or corporate Australia, there can be a tendency to have to just, you know, not show exactly who you are. Um, and and kind of hide parts of you and, and kind of navigate your way through that in order to succeed. You know, at what point for you in your journey, and I know you also worked across startups as well, but, you know, in your journey pre-business, did you kind of think, you know what, I think it's time for me to step out and do something on my own? What was that like? Yeah, I think the the corporate world, um, I started my career working for financial services in, in um, just outside of Philadelphia and great company. I still love them today. Amazing company. Um but you're you're correct in in terms of having to you know push a few things about yourself down to to be successful, hide a few things, and um, I think you know my corporate career there there was great times of learning, um, great great things I did that that really shaped who I was in terms of my career and the things that I was passionate about, um, but I never felt like I was really meant to be in those environments. It just felt a bit boring. To be honest with you, <laughs> like I don't have a better way to put it. It just, it. <laughs> it just felt boring, and and I think a part of that was because um, when you learn how to navigate the machine, um, you know, it's it's kind of like why am I doing this? Um, and and certainly, I think a big part of me too is 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 saying, well, I, 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 there's so many other sides of myself that I want to explore. Um, I don't want to leave that to the weekend. Like, I don't want to, you know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't want to just, yeah. you know, try to, try to focus on myself on the weekends when I have free time. I want to spend more of my time, um, you know, really learning what, what am I good at and what do I love doing and, and what brings me to life. And so I, I think for me, that kind of corporate transition, uh, you know, and, and I did do some startup work as well in, in between there, but I think transitioning out of that for me was, was inevitable, um, it was it was a natural progression, and I think for me, entrepreneurship was a it was a way for me to push myself to grow, um, and a way for me to um, kind of smash some of the self limiting beliefs that I had 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 been living with, um, and certainly I think 
corporate world um, can exacerbate some of those things. I think if you don't fit into the mold, if you if you're not playing the part, if you don't look the part, then you, you know you might not be chosen for that promotion, which um, you know can can um, in a lot of ways uh, really reinvigorate your own beliefs, you know, negative beliefs about yourself when, when you don't have the success that you want or, or, um, and so for me that it just, that just didn't feel like a fun way to live life. Um, and so I got out. And you got out. (laughs) Everything you're saying, Reggie, I'm just, you guys can't see me by again. I'm nodding my head furiously. It was November 2017 that I think you officially started your business, Beaker and Flint. Could you talk to us a little bit about where the idea for that came about and what were those first few steps that you took to really get it going and get it off the ground? Yeah, the idea for Beaker and Flint um, had had been there for quite some time um, with one of my business partners. Him and I worked together in, in agency building um, apps and web systems and that sort of stuff. And, um, I think when I met him the first week I met him, I thought this guy's awesome. We're going to do something together. I don't know what, we're going to do something. And from that moment forward, I started thinking about what skills I needed to, to achieve some of the goals that I wanted in life. And and one of them was, was sales. I thought, well, I need to do sales and, um, started doing, started going out there, just trying to find work, had no direction, no clear idea what we wanted to do. Um, we met another guy, which is our third co-founder, and um, and I think we all just kind of kind of riffed on some ideas that we you know we had. Um, but I think the thing that 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 linked us together was was we were all really upset with um, the way companies treat people and the way they see people. Um, oftentimes, I mean, people are, are treated as resources or, or or numbers, and we were frustrated by that. We were deeply bothered by that and thought, well. There must be a better way to help companies to grow that enables um, their people to grow. Um, and so we decided, well, let's let's do a business. Let's do a consulting business that um, helps these companies to go through the transformations that they're looking to, to, to go through. But let's make a core component of that transformation, the education and upskilling of their people. Um, and that, that was the idea that that's what we decided to do was, well, let's work with, you know, companies that want to grow. That's what we did. That's what you did. And the big companies are that. I mean, ultimately, you ended up working with some of Australia's largest companies, including like the Australian Red Cross, WWF, Department of Education and Training. Can you talk to us a little bit about those early days and then how you were able to land those first kind of big deals? Mm, Yep. So the the early days... um... It's funny that that one you mentioned, the Australian Red Cross, was was an opportunity that at first we turned down because um, oh. we had these grand ideas on on what we were going to do and talking about kind of failure or, or, or learning. Um, mm. You know, our early ideas for the business did they didn't work. People people didn't want to buy what you know the way we we're packaging things up. And so, in the process of trying to explore something we wanted to do, we we told we told Red Cross. No, go away. <laughs> no. Wow. <laughs> we said, no, we don't want to do it. And um, it was a contact of mine that I worked with in startup who who had gone and, and worked with the Australian Red Cross. And um, she just kept telling her CIO, like, you, you need to meet these guys. You need to, you know, this is the, the thing that they do. This is what we want to bring in, like, have a conversation. And she kept reaching out to me. And, and finally, we said, yeah, let's do it. And um, 
we were we had a an office in in in, in Cremorne, which is a, a small suburb just outside the CBD in Melbourne, and um, we closed it up. And, and me and my two business partners um, uh, basically moved to Sydney to to work on that on that contract for six months. Um, and so that was that was us working in the business. Um, and that was our, that was our real start was the Australian Red Cross was, that was probably the biggest thing we, we had done, um, which was a really pivotal engagement, which, which really set us up as a business. So that was, um, I mean, that was the, that was the beginning. Yeah. That was the beginning for us. Wow. In those early days of business, I'm not even surprised that you said the first offering you came up with was just not kind of what the market wanted or, you know, wasn't going to work out. How can we navigate through those those early days where it's tough? We don't really know what the market wants. We know what the problem is that we want to solve, but we have really no idea what we're doing. You know, can you talk to us a little bit about the early days of business, the failure, the struggle, and how we can get through that. Mm, yeah. So I, I think um, we, we, we started a business, uh, I think, with a need to eat, right? Like that's where you start. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I need, unless, unless you've got money behind you, you got backing or something. The first thing is I need to eat. I need <laughs> to feed myself. And so you, you just focusing on getting the, the business in. And so the early days, you take whatever comes. And, yeah. and I think for us, um, you know, certainly a blessing that, that Red Cross came back after we said no, because, um, in a, in a few months we, we wouldn't have been eating anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, True. And so you, you, that's, that's where you've kind of, you've, you've got to just, you know, rely on what you have in front of you and, and, and take whatever you can. Um, I think the next phase of that, you know, once you start getting some traction with that is, is how do you operationalize? How do you get better at, at the things that you're doing? Um, and then the next stage after that is, is, well, now how do you get more focused and targeted with, with the business that you're building? And, and, um, and so it's almost like you're, you're, you're rebuilding the, the business it's like you're building it from the ground up because now you're not focused on 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 eating anymore now you're not focused on making your product or your service better anymore now you're focused on well how do i repeat this how do i build this engine and make this engine work and so mm-hmm. the early days i think if you're bootstrapping like you know we've we've bootstrapped everything we've done um, none of us have, have put in our own cash and we haven't taken any cash from anyone else um everything is just on 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 uh, you know, on the back of sweat. Um, I think if you're going down that pathway, um, it's just keep trying things mm. like stay, stay in the game, keep trying things, take the work that's going to, going to feed you. But at the same time, um, be thinking through that process. What, what are we good at? What do we like doing here? Um, that's one thing I, if I could, if I could say one thing that I wish we could have done differently, or I would have done differently is, is take stock of what we're good at earlier on. Um, take stock of your, your core competency, um, your strengths and your weakness. Um, always be looking at that because you've really got to double down on the things you're good at. If you're in a business where you, you're, you're kind of doing things and, and you're not amazing at it, you, you're going to get smashed. Mm, um, it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. And so you, you've got to be realistic about what you, um, what you can achieve as, you know, with that early team and then keep trying things. I love it. Oh my goodness, Reggie, you and I could talk for days. I'm absolutely loving this, but I am mindful of your time. I've got a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is, what has been your greatest failure 
and win to date? Hmm. I think um, probably a, a flow on from that that last you know thing we were just talking about. One one of the big failures I think in our business was um, spending a lot of time doing too much opportunistic work. And so I, I know I said that you know you got to eat, you, you got to eat, <laughs> but you got to you got to balance that. You got to yeah. balance your yeah. need to um, you know pay the bills with well, where's this thing gonna go? And I think it's easy to jump into a new business starry eyed and think this is just going to be the greatest rise and be so much fun and, and, and then get into it and realize that it's a slog. Like it can be, it can be very challenging and it can be very lonely. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have partners in, in my business. And, and so, you know, um, we help each other along the way, but uh, I think at the same time that, that thing that was a blessing is having partners can, can also be a curse. And so I think one of the biggest failures we had was, was not working out who was driving the bus earlier on and decision by committee, right? Like, like it's, it's a very slow, arduous process and in the end, you don't, you don't really get very far if you, if you have that, you know, sort of set up. And uh, I think that's probably one of the, the bigger failures we had that, that held us back from moving forward in the business for, for a little bit of time was just not, not recognizing, um, which seat each person should be in. And I think on the flip, that's actually been one of our greatest successes um, is working out um, who should be in what seat uh, and then having a framework for uh, operationalizing the business and growing it. Um, a really good book, I, I'm a big reader, is a book called Traction by a guy called um, Gino Wickman. And it's a very um, simple framework. It's called the entrepreneurial operating system. Um, I'd recommend it to anyone that's, you know, in a business that's, you know, two people to maybe 20, 20 people. If you're at that kind of stage, um, it's a really great resource. Um, I would say it changed our business and it changed it in weeks, like literally weeks. I could probably even go as far as to say it changed it in a day. And I think the biggest concept for us that, that helped us change it was was this idea of uh, in the business, who's the visionary and who's the integrator. And the visionary is the person that's that's driving forward, that sees business opportunities, that that has the big relationships, that has the you know that that goes after partnerships. And the integrator is the person who says, "Okay, this is how we do it." <laughs> and 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 it's interesting that it's it's hard if you if you find yourself in that space where you, you know you're you're you have big ideas. Oftentimes, you're not the best person at at making it happen. So I think that that concept alone. Um, was was something that really changed our business and probably one of the biggest successes that's been been allowing us to to grow um, is is actually having a framework for growth. Mm. So so valuable, and I personally resonate with that so much. I think I'm in the stage where it's that it's how do we structure this? How do we turn this into a machine that actually like does the thing as opposed to doing the thing yourself? You know, or having just some team members do it. So. That's what, that's one of the things I would say, you know, anyone who's starting something new to, to be mindful of is that if, if you're working in your business, you, you're, you don't have a valuable business yet. 
Because if someone wants to buy it, like if it relies on you to make the thing happen, then, then, then you just got a job. And so you've got to find a way as you're building your business to say, can I take three months off? Okay. If I take three months off, (laughs) will it fall apart? (laughs) (laughs) And if the answer is it's going to fall apart, then you got more work to do. But I think going into it, knowing that um, the thing that you might be really good at, or the thing that you might love doing, your job as the entrepreneur is to to get it up and running and, and build the systems that that are, that make it happen. Um, build a culture, build a oh, culture where people yes. want to be a part of it and will will take responsibility for it because they feel like it's theirs. They 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 believe it's theirs. They they believe they're a part of it. And and that's that's magical when it happens because you're like, okay, awesome. There are people, there are people on my team when I, I pitch ideas and they tell me that's not Beaker and Flint. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? You're right. Like yeah, I was my it. idea was was way out of left field and it wouldn't fit our culture. Yeah. And so I think those are the things to be thinking about is, you know, when you're starting something is how do you, how do you how do you build it so that it will last? Mm. And that means it can't be centered around you. Oh, so valuable. Yes. Look, Reggie, over the last three, four, five years in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received so much recognition for your work. You know, we mentioned some of the big brand names and companies that are your clients. It's so, so cool to see, you know, what are three key pieces of advice that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Mm, really interesting. What, what would I, what would I tell me <laughs> if I could go back? What, what would I tell me? Um, I think probably the, the, the first one, um, would be really working out what, what I'm good at. I think it's kind of jumping into something new. You, you might think that, um, you know, you can take on, um, any kind of challenge, um, you know, that your business through your business, you're going to be invincible or, or whatever it is, right. You, 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 like I mentioned before, you, you can be a bit, a bit starry eyed. Um, I think I would tell myself to focus on, on my strengths um, and that's something I tell people a lot now is, is to focus on their strengths. Like, what are you good at? Um, not just good at, but what are you like, what are you naturally good at? What, what is it that only you can do? <laughs> like, what were you made to do? Like, figure that out. Um, because I think we can spend a lot of time working on things, um, that we're not really, not really good at, <laughs> like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, like you, and, and that, and that, that actually becomes a bit of a prison because, mm. because now you've built this thing and, and, and you're working, you're working in this thing and you don't love it. And mm. it's like getting out of the corporate thing. It's like, I don't want to do that anymore. Well, you can't do that because it's, you have yeah, responsibility no. now. So yeah. I think that's probably one, one, a bit of advice I would, I would have told myself is, is to focus on your strengths. Um, something else I, I would have um, told myself is, um, to think about quality, um, and to really, really think about, um, what, what is quality and how do you deliver a quality service or quality product? I think oftentimes people get caught up and I would say entrepreneurs of any shape, size, form, whatever, whatever they're trying to, trying to pursue can, can get into this idea or this, this you know fallacy of thinking that bigger is better or more is better, and um, 
It's like, you want to grow your business? Okay, why? <laughs> like, why do, you, why do you want to grow your business? If I could go back and tell myself something, it would be to focus on quality, not focus on more accounts or, you know, better marketing name clients or, um, you know, you know, we, we've had aspirations to be, to be global. We, we, we still do. And, and through our product, we will be, um, but it, they were aspirations that were, were probably more vanity and, and not really, um, didn't have a clear why, why should you do that? Um, I ask myself that, that now, as we, we make our, our revenue goals, like why, why that number, why? And I think that's probably the one thing that is now starting to really change our business is to, to have a clear understanding about why we want to grow it and and um and doing that through a process that produces quality you know a quality service that that people want to buy and and i think uh, the growth happens from from there the growth happens because people are saying this is good and you guys should use these people you should use this product you should use this thing because it's good it works That's versus okay. the vanity metrics of how many people do you have on your team? You know, um, how many cities are you? How many countries are you in? Like that, that stuff is, it doesn't matter. So that's probably one thing I, I would tell myself and, and probably the last thing if I could give myself um, um, some, uh, some advice. Uh, the last thing would be to, to know where you want to go, but to enjoy the process. Um, because all we have is the day. And I think we, we, we want, we have, as an entrepreneur, you, you, you likely have big vision about what, what you, what you want and where you want to go and what you want to do. You, it's just that you wouldn't be an entrepreneur if you didn't like you, you, you want something, which I think the tendency to want, um, or, or see a, a brighter future or whatever, whatever, you know, version of that you want to use, um, has a tendency to, to put you in, into the future and you project out a lot and that's a good skill and that's a good quality. Um, but the truth is, is that all you have is today. Like you don't, you don't have five years from now, 10 years from now, you don't have, you know, that, that 10 year vision, like that's an idea in your mind. What you have is today. And so, I think I would tell myself to enjoy the process from the beginning, like in, enjoy every day, every, every step, every, you know, every time you, you, you win new business, you, you launch a new service, you, um, you, you meet with someone and you have coffee, like, and enjoy every one of those steps because it's, it's the accumulation over time where you'll see, you'll see the payoff. Um, but if you're stuck in the past or the future, um, you'll create, you know, depression or anxiety from that situation. You really need to think about, um, the day to day and, and, and enjoying, enjoying the ride. That's what I would have told myself. Oh, I love it, Reggie. That was just every time it was great. Oh my goodness. Look, Reggie, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for sharing so openly with us today about your journey and where it originated from and just you and, you know, for showing us and particularly us young, ambitious, you know, millennials that if we have that vision, that goal and that dream and just that desire to want to do more, we can. And for that, we really appreciate you. Awesome. 
Thank you. Thanks so much, Michelle, for having me on. Of course. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, and that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I would say the, the value in, in pursuing what you're most passionate about, if, for me, is, is thinking about, um, and I, I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it's, it's, it's what, have, what are you made to do? Um, what were you made for? There, there, is a, there is a purpose for you. Um, and I think that purpose can be found in your passion. I think it can be found in, in, in what you naturally gravitate towards. And I think the value of that is, is, is an enriched life. Um, I think being able to, to wake up and, and, and have uh, expectation about your day, um, like hopeful expectation, you know, um, I think that's the value. And I would say as well is, is that, we only have so much time. Um, I think pursuing that thing that, that you're passionate about or, or, or you feel is your purpose um, maximizes the time that you have to spend um, rather than, you know, wasting that time on something else. You're, you're actually, you know, pursuing the thing that um, you were created to do. And I think there's a whole lot of value in that. There's a lot of value in, in, in using your time in that way. And so, yeah, that's what I would say. I love it. Reggie, ladies and gentlemen, oh my goodness, thank you. We have had an absolute blast. Where can we learn more about you and Beaker and Flint? Oh, well, I would say, um, yeah, hop onto our website, beakerandflint.com, and um, you can learn about the, the business that we have in, in service design, working with uh, purpose-driven businesses. And um, on there as well, we'll be some, releasing some more information about some of uh, um, the new services that we're going to be launching um, this month. Uh, the date is October 30th. It's going to be live and we'll be doing some some media and stuff about that. So that's probably the best way to find out. And always um, feel free to reach out on on my LinkedIn. Um, always down to have a, you know, a, a coffee if you're, if you're local or um, catch up over Zoom. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest beer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst 